Welcome to the Building a Story Brand podcast, where we believe if you confuse, you'll lose. Noise is the enemy, and creating a clear message is the best way to grow your business. I'm your host, Donald Miller. I'm joined by my co-host, Dr. J.J. Peterson. Hi, J.J. Hello, Don. J.J., today we're talking about being vulnerable and the importance of being vulnerable as a leader. Okay. And the question, Yeah. can you take it too far? Ooh, yes. I 100% believe you can. Okay, let's get yep. examples of from you. You took it too far. Well, (laughs) am I going to be vulnerable? Am I going to take it too far by being vulnerable here on this podcast? Well, okay, very specific is we didn't really plan this until this moment because I wasn't thinking about this. But over the break, over Christmas, when I was home for Christmas, (laughs) I actually had to have a tooth broke. And I had to have basically an emergency extraction. And I go into the dentist and he puts up my x-ray on the wall after, you know, he's talking to me, seems very nice, competent. He's a sweet guy, puts my x-ray on the wall. And all of a sudden he starts pacing and he starts going. Now, this was the only dentist who was open. The only Friday dentist before. who was open. It was Friday he before had no Christmas. Choice. Yeah. This so I guy. went to this guy. I'm not here in Nashville. I'm You're home in, another in Oregon. Town. Yeah. And he goes, he's looking at the x-ray and he goes, Ooh, this is going to be rough. <laughs> he, goes, he goes, that's an angry nerve. That is an angry nerve, and those roots are close to it. And so he's just like, oh, my gosh. It's so, only funny in hindsight. Uh, yes, purely in hindsight. So I was like, okay, are we okay? Do you, can you do it? Yes. Yeah. So I go in. Ends up being a two-and-a-half-hour surgery. Oh, about an hour and a half into it, forgive what I'm about to say, but I need the listeners to experience what I was experiencing. <laughs> so this man, half my tooth is out, half is still in. And he has his hands over my face in my mouth, and he starts going, shit. <laughs> Sorry for people who are listening with children. <laughs> and then he turns, I'm not kidding, his face is six inches from mine, and he turns to his dental assistant and he goes, I'm so scared. <laughs> that none of this is made up. I'm dead serious. This is exactly what happens. And I sit there and I start panicking. I start trying to do yoga breathing. I'm like gripping the edges of the chair. I'm freaking out. I'm genuinely freaking out because yeah, I, I've just put my health in this man's and he says whispers I'm so scared and his assistant goes what do you need do you need a bigger tool do you need a smaller tool what do you need he goes I don't know Janet I don't know what to do I don't know what I'm supposed to do I don't know Janet I don't know Janet that should be a meme I know and I just like and so he ends up like working for and he's like cussing everything finally he he gets two of the roots out he has one more route to go and um, somebody comes in and asks him how long it's going to take he's like I don't know I don't know. We have no idea how long this is going to be. I did not want my dentist to be vulnerable in that situation. <laughs> well, what you wanted was your dentist to be competent. Yes. And so that's the that's the thing is, it, but listen, let's take it to the opposite way. Yeah. Let's talk about a leader or a brand that will not admit mistakes under yes. any circumstances. Yeah. And so basically you just go, these people are untrustworthy and they are liars. Yeah. There is a fine line. Yes. And, and, and I think it's, you've got to be competent. You have to be. Yep. You have to know what you're doing. But you can also be human. Yep. And you don't have to be, by the way, competent at anything. Nobody is depending on your expertise. Yeah. You can be human. Yep. And it's true in movies with the guides. They have to be competent to help the hero win, but they can also have a... I'm thinking of like the Karate Kid where Mr. Miyagi, you know, he drinks too much one night and he thinks about the loss of his wife and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. That scene only works because that has nothing to do with his ability to teach this kid karate that yes. can win a karate tournament. Yes. So, you know, it's that fine line. Well, today's guest is Michelle Couchat. We talk about this phenomenon of being vulnerable and where you need to be vulnerable, when you need to be vulnerable. Most of us probably need to learn to be a little bit more vulnerable than we are, except I would just add this caveat. Yeah. 
unless you're incompetent, yeah. you need to get out. Yeah. You should still be vulnerable. You should just yeah. not be doing the operation. Yep. It's really fantastic. Yes, please. It's a great. Please, dentist, don't do that. <laughs> well, here's my conversation with Michelle. Michelle Kashat, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Don. So good to be here. Your new book, Relentless, The Unshakable Presence of a God Who Never Leaves, is out a couple of months ago, actually, by the yeah. time. It's coming out soon as you and I talk, but we'll air this sometime early in January. But it just came out about six weeks ago as you're listening to this. Congratulations on finishing a new book. It's like a birth, right? So I'm still in recovery mode. <laughs> yeah. How many do you have now? Three. Three. So how's your third child compared to your first? Well, you know, I, the kinds of books I write are like surgery and this was probably the most extensive surgery I've done today. Wow. So, yeah. You know, the whole, you know, if you're not bleeding on the page, then it's not worth your time. Well, it was pretty extensive surgery in this one. So I wrote what I wanted to write. I feel very good about, you know, I feel very confident that I said what I needed to say, but I'm going to need some time to recover. I'm curious because I'm a little envious because, you know, I, I wrote memoirs for a long time and there's a lot of vulnerability and that sort of stuff. I never walked away from that or disagree with anything I've written before, but I just, you know, if you write your eighth memoir, you're a clinical narcissist, right? So I needed a pivot <laughs> and uh, decided to write business books and have just loved it. But there is a part of me that misses a little bit of sharing some of my opinions that might be a little controversial and those kinds of things. In part, I miss it. In part, I think I'm very wise for not doing it. It's, <laughs> it's also the topic of uh, today's conversations, you know, the importance of vulnerability as leaders the importance of self-awareness, the importance of mental health. What's the line between how much of ourselves do we share in leadership positions and how much we don't? There's a changing of the guard in culture, and there's some old holdouts. You know, I think about Trump as this kind of old holdout of never, ever admit you're wrong, never share a weakness, and then you've got, you know, transition from Barack Obama before him, and even George W. Bush is much more vulnerable we're all over the place in this, and I'm curious about your wisdom, and the book goes into this, and you just did it in writing the book. You were very vulnerable. What is the importance of vulnerability today, as specifically as it relates to leadership? Well, I, ultimately, you have to decide why be vulnerable. I mean, you have right. to really back up and say, what's the reason why? Vulnerability that's about yourself is nothing but venting. Vulnerability that's about yourself is nothing but venting. Explain that. So if I'm vulnerable about myself, I might say, I had a hard day or somebody kind of offended me. Can we talk about it? That's venting? No, and that's not what I mean. So what okay. I'm saying is when you are sharing vulnerably purely to make yourself feel better, purely, okay, and I'm talking in a leadership role. There's a difference between friendship relationships where we share. There's a difference between the leadership role. And when you write a book, you're in a leadership role, right? Right. So when you are being vulnerable purely for the point or the purpose of making yourself feel better, that's more just venting. You're just kind of dumping it all there. I think true vulnerability or the healthiest version of vulnerability is in leadership serves the relationship. Hmm. So then we share vulnerability because we do care about the other person. Sounds like it could be a synonym for wise vulnerability. Wise or responsible oh, vulnerability you yeah. or, you know, kind of that relationship serving vulnerability, but that kind of vulnerability takes into account, will what I'm sharing serve this relationship, serve the other person, or will it actually just distract from the relationship and the other person? What do you do with the personality type? And there are a few of them out there, and, and I've experienced this myself, or at least felt this, where people feel like they have to share everything in order to feel like they're being honest. And if they don't, they're withholding who they really are and they feel a little bit manipulative. 
I think there are some listeners who may feel that way. Do you think those people need to actually wise up a little bit and be a little bit more careful? Yeah. I, how blunt do you want me to be? I mean, I can be super direct. <laughs> I want you to be blunt. <laughs> We feel like we have to share everything that comes into our mind. That's actually a sign of immaturity. That's what my 12-year-olds do, right? I have a middle school girl and two other kids that are about ready to be in middle school. They feel like, in fact, I had a conversation with one of them yesterday. A, a friend of hers hurt her feelings, and she goes, I need to tell her about it. What do I need to say? And one of the things I'm talking to her about is every time her feelings get hurt, she feels like she needs to go confront the person with this, or she mm. needs to address it. or needs. And I said, not every wound has to be talked about. Not every single slight has to be confronted. There does come a point of maturity in our lives where we can overlook an offense. That doesn't mean we do it all the time, but there is a wisdom in going, is this something that really needs to be addressed or is this something that I can just forgive and move on? That's great advice. Talk to me about how this is connected to mental health and emotional health. And it's never not been important, but it's perhaps more important than ever that our leaders are actually emotionally and mentally healthy. And I don't know if it's just the media pointing out the flaws of every leader constantly, <laughs> yes. but we feel like we don't have very many emotionally healthy leaders anymore. And the ones who are, are quite honestly so quiet and so wise that they don't get the microphone anymore. And so we feel like we're being led by a bunch of adult children. And we are. And we don't just feel that way. In many ways, we are. And I mean, the truth is, there have been times I've done that as well, right? I didn't have the emotional health that I needed to have, or I hadn't done the internal work that I needed to do. But this is part of maturity and growth. All of us are responsible for that. Well, let's talk about vulnerability, kind of the emotional component, emotional health component of vulnerability. I was having a conversation with a woman that I mentor that attends seminary. And every semester, she needs to work on a new character quality. Last semester, she worked on, or spring of two, uh, 2019, she worked on vulnerability. In the fall, she worked on confidence. And so we were talking about the connections between vulnerability and confidence. And what I shared with her and the conclusion we came to is that you really can't have true relationship-serving vulnerability. You can't have that healthy vulnerability in leadership if you also don't have an internal sense of confidence. Hmm. And I'm not talking about arrogance. I'm talking about a groundedness in you that you know who you are. You're aware of your weaknesses and your challenges, your kind of the kinds of things that make you limp, the things that are kind yeah. of the chink in your arm. You have full awareness of that. And yet, even in spite of those weaknesses, you have a sense of groundedness that you're okay. Yeah. Right. And when you have that, you can be vulnerable without feeling at risk. How do you get that, though? How, I mean, for people who don't feel that, you know, they walk into the room and they just don't feel like their voice matters. You know, I've tried to coach that into people or tell that to people before. And finally, I just said, you know, I think what you need is to rack up a few wins. You need to rack up a few self-confidence building wins so that when you walk in the room, you actually know, well, no, my, my voice actually matters. I mean, I've had trouble, you know, even partnering with some people because they kept apologizing or saying, I don't want to bother you. And finally, I just pulled them aside and said, listen, if you keep saying, I don't want to bother you or I don't want to be a burden, you can't work here. I'm looking for somebody who's confident. You hand them the football, they run toward the end zone. Not somebody you hand the football and say, you know, hey, I don't want to be the big guy on the team or be a show up. You're stop talking. Get into the end zone, right? <laughs> <laughs> like you're going to get tackled. And how do you coach that into somebody? See, I don't know that you can coach it into somebody. I think huh. this is where we all have to take ownership of our own journey. Yeah, right? you might we be have right. To, there has to be extreme ownership here. Nobody can't 
outsource their confidence. You can't have somebody give it to you. And I would even go so far to say, I don't even know that wins would accomplish it. Because if you really have a vacuum within where you don't have an intrinsic belief in the value of an individual, including yourself, no amount of wins is going to fill that void. So it's really, it can't be external. You have to have really a core belief in the intrinsic value of every human being. That's interesting. You didn't say a core belief in the intrinsic value of yourself. It's literally the core belief in the intrinsic value of every human being. Can you connect those two for me? Because a lot of people think self-confidence, I got to think about myself, but you're saying self-confidence, the value of just being a human being. Yeah. You know, and, and I've had people, you know, bring spirituality into it. Well, you know, I'm God's child. I've never actually found that perspective to be super helpful. I really haven't. If you have low confidence, you believe you're a child of God, you're a child of God with low confidence. <laughs> There's got to be something else. I mean, how do you get it? Or do you just say, well, some people are born with it, some people aren't? Or is it because of neglect as a child? Or, you know, I mean, we got to give people some advice, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, at some point, you have to sit there and look at humanity, and you have to choose. Do I look at the fact that, seriously, that we woke up today we are living human beings. We have cells that work. We have these incredible bodies. Is there some value in just the fact that we're here, just the fact that we exist and that we're alive? And the uniqueness, the individuality, learning to appreciate the wide variation that none of us are alike, all of that. And again, nobody can just hand that on a platter to you. You have to decide what you feel about the value of humankind. When we see humans in general as valuable, like you're here, Don. Your accomplishments don't make you valuable. Just the fact that you are a living, breathing human being makes you so unique. You have value. If I wrestle with that, I can't deny that I'm part of that human race as well. And I do find value in the spiritual aspect of that. I think there's something unique about the fact that I've been created, but not everybody is there. So even if you take that spiritual factor out of that, the fact that we're here is a miracle in and of itself. I don't take the spiritual factor out of it. I think I look at it differently, though. I can throw a brick through somebody's window. And I have the power to really be mean. I can also knock on their door and bring them flowers and I have the power of being nice. And I think God gave me that power. So the power that I have and the importance that I have as a human being is the power that God gave me to choose whether or not to use it. That's my spiritual journey is just agreeing with God. Hey, don't be an idiot. <laughs> Stop throwing bricks through windows and start bringing people flowers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, there's definitely some of that too. But we're talking about internal sense of agency and a locust of control. I think you couldn't be on to a more important topic. I mean, you really couldn't. Well, this is critical. Everything that we do, whether it's parenting, marriage, uh, my professional life as a leader, as a writer, whatever, if it doesn't come from an internal anchor, a sense of groundedness, nobody can make this happen for me. And this is often where we see leaders go wrong. They try to externally create this reality, but it doesn't come from within. And that's why emotional intelligence, self-awareness, doing your own work of getting very clear about who you are. And part of that is embracing your own weaknesses, being able to be honest about, hey, I struggle with this. This is my reality. That honesty actually creates a confidence because yes. no, you don't have to hide. That's right. I'm powerful as I am, flaws and all. Yeah. I'll be right back with the rest of my conversation with Michelle Couchat in just a moment. If you've been wanting to come to a StoryBrand marketing workshop, we have one coming up February 2nd through 4th. Here's how it works. You fly to Nashville. Sunday night, we have a great dessert where you meet a bunch of people, other business leaders, people who are in your shoes. Monday morning, 8.30 a.m., you have a little breakfast, and at 9 a.m., we get started. And we will spend the next 48 hours giving you two things, a crystal clear message 
that will cause customers to buy, and then a sales funnel you can plug that message into. You leave with years of marketing work done in only 48 hours. I know you've read the book, you've listened to the podcast, you've probably watched my videos, but have you actually created a marketing plan that works? Just listening to the podcast, reading the book won't do it. That may tell you why it's important, but it doesn't actually get it done. If you want to get it done, come to Nashville February 2nd through 4th. You can register at storybrand.com right now, storybrand.com. How much money are you missing out on every day because you don't have a marketing plan that is working? Stop that in its tracks. Be in Nashville February 2nd through the 4th. We will see you soon. Register at storybrand.com. You know, in terms of being a leader, we are very, very influential whether we like it or not. I remember years and years ago, one of the best lessons I ever learned, I was teaching a little Bible study, or I was involved in a little Bible study at Reed College, most godless campus in the country at the time. It was not my night to share. There were about eight or ten of us in the room, somebody else's night to share. And I just kind of had my arms crossed and was a little bit checked out. And the guy who shared pulled me aside and said, hey, you didn't say anything tonight, but you said a lot. And I said, what do you mean I didn't say anything, but I said a lot? He said, when you fold your arms and you check out, you are communicating to the entire room as a leader whether or not you think anybody should be there. And it shocked me. I literally just went, oh my gosh, he's right. I was communicating the entire time. I don't think we realize the power we have and some of our low self-esteem or whatever is actually negatively, we're leading people in the wrong direction. But let me ask you this. How far can we take this? You talk about the difference between a boss and a leader and how much we should accept our agency to influence others, how far that should go. I did a, an interview with Simon Sinek once, and we talked about he really believes that you should run a company and every company should be run like a family. He just said, you would never fire anybody in your family. And I kind of confronted him about that and said, but it's not a family. <laughs> it's not a family at all. It's, it's <laughs> yeah. different. It's a work environment. You're, I said, you know, how much of what you're talking about is appealing because of the breakdown and the dysfunction of the American family, that they're looking for families somewhere else and maybe in a place that can't really – your boss cannot be your daddy. In fact, if you walk into an environment and everybody's calling the boss daddy, that's weird. <laughs> that's creepy. That's really creepy. So how far do we take this, Michelle, in terms of – being motherly and being fatherly and being, you know, how far can we take the vulnerability and agency in people's lives? What should a leader actually look like in the role that most of us are in corporate America? I recently read the book Radical Candor, and I don't know if you've read it, but she talks about how you confront directly but care personally. And there's this combination. And I think that's part of the secret sauce, right? Being able to do both. You know, boss kind of sees themselves as someone who just tells people what to do. They just tell people what to do and make things happen. Right. I care about developing people, not telling people what to do. Now, there are boss moments where I tell my team what to do. This is what needs to happen. This is a deadline. This needs to happen. But my core role is not just bossing them around. My core role is leader. And that means I come alongside them and say, this is our vision. This is where we're going. This is the role I see you playing in that. Let's do it. Let's make it happen. So there are still boss moments. But I'm a leader. I'm side by side with them, casting a vision. I'm the one responsible for that. I'm the one saying, this is where we're going. 
I'm gathering input, but then I'm saying, let's do it together. So, you know, is it a family? No. I mean, we definitely have, my team are some of my closest friends, but I'm definitely still in charge. Still, I have the radical ownership of my own business. And this is, I'm owning the vision and the how-to of getting there. When we're talking about emotions and leadership and things like this, we had some hard things happen to us this year on our team. We had just some tragedy strike and One of the pieces of advice that was given to me was, hey, show emotion, but be in control. Exactly. Show emotion, be human, but let everybody know, hey, this isn't going to fall apart. Here's our next five or six steps. We're going to be okay. That was some of the greatest advice I've ever heard. Never, ever forfeit your humanity as a leader. Never say, this doesn't hurt me. It doesn't affect me. No, it does. It hurts me, but we're going to be okay. And here's how we're going to get through this. People don't connect with robots people. That's true. And the points of connection in our whole human experience, whether professionally or personally, points of connection are almost always around pain points. Hmm. It's a challenge. That's what we connect the most. So if we pretend we don't experience pain, whether it's a missed deadline or a tragedy, okay, anything on that continuum, if we feel a need to put together this unflappable, bulletproof front, then there's no points of connection. Well, let's talk about high-impact emotions. You say in the book, leaders must, must know how to identify and respond to high-impact emotions, their own as well as those they lead. The reality is we and the people we lead are not cogs in a wheel. We are human beings. We are extremely complicated, often unpredictable, and often, most often, irrational. (laughs) So if you don't understand emotions... I'm <laughs> I didn't mean that as an accusation. I was talking about myself. <laughs> First of all, what are high impact emotions? What are you talking about when you talk about high impact emotions? You know, when when you get an email from somebody that sounds very accusatory and your response is then to retaliate with an email back That's or you right. want to yeah. attack them or defend yourself, right? I've never done that personally. Yeah. High impact emotions or those high intensity emotions are the ones that come from the lizard brain, right? The brain stem. It's your fight flight kind of response to anything that feels like a threat. And we are wired up. I mean, we have these fabulous brains. So we have the lower brain and the upper brain, and that whole brainstem helps keep us from being, you know, kidnapped when we see a stalker on the street or it helps <laughs> yeah. us avert a car accident. It's yeah. all good. But we need, as leaders, we have to have enough self-awareness to say, hey, I'm having a, an instinctual reaction right now. You know, I went to reach through the screen and grab Don by the neck because he called me irrational, but I don't have to act on that, you know, or whatever it is. You know, we have to be able to identify, all right, I'm having some pretty strong emotions, so what am I going to do with it? As a leader, if you aren't in touch with your own emotions and how your own brain kind of fires and responds, then when somebody else does it to you, your natural response is going to be retaliate back. Right. Right. But if you have some awareness that these certain things trigger me, these things tick me off, they make me so angry. So when it happens, you can go, all right, I see what's happening here. (laughs) I see what's going on. So what am I going to do about it? And that allows us to be proactive, to make decisions, not reactions. As human beings, we really are primates. I mean, that's what we are. Mm -hmm. But we're probably the only animal on the planet that can actually step outside ourselves analyze, make adjustments, and govern ourselves, it's though our executive brain can sort of boss around or heavily consult the amygdala. It's fascinating to me that so many of us don't do that. In fact, I often don't do it. Where I'm at now is just, I, I got to pause. So if I'm feeling something, there's two things. One I learned from John Richmond, he's America's ambassador on human trafficking, and he raises his family with these rules. And one of the rules is emotions are not actions. In other words, you can separate the two. Mm-hmm. 
And as a 40-year-old, I finally learned that. Wait, I don't have to act on these things. I can just stop. And they may not even be true. The emotions may be the terrible consultants that you got in the moment. You know, that was the first one. And the second one is, let's wait a week. Yeah. And as an impulsive, impatient, driven leader, that's a curse word to me. Wait is a curse word. Let's go now. Well, there's also a sense of we don't like being uncomfortable. And so hard right. emotions like this are uncomfortable. And the truth is, is we live in a culture society that we can, we have at our fingertips the ability to numb any discomfort at a moment's notice. So we're having to retrain ourselves to learn to become comfortable with discomfort. And as leaders, that's our role. That's what we do is to allow things to be uncomfortable in order to make a good, wise, strategic decision rather than an emotional reaction. Michelle, what is the danger of being an emotionally impulsive leader? What's at stake? Well, first of all, your credibility, your own health, but you will destroy relationships. Hmm. And you'll destroy people's lives. Oh, yeah. You destroy relationships. You'll destroy your business. You'll impact individuals long term. Nobody's going to stay around for very long. Nobody wants to be treated that way. Yeah. The beauty is, and this is what's so fun for me personally, as I've been growing and learning about this, is the more aware I become of my own reactions, responses, the things that really kind of how my brain and body responds to any feel of threat or whatever. Now, when people on my team or other colleagues, I see them having similar reactions. I don't immediately say that's bad behavior. I will then turn the question and say, hey, I see you getting amped up right here. There's like a lot of intensity. Tell me where that's coming from. What's going on? Rather than attacking the behavior, say, this behavior is telling me something about you. Help me understand mm. what's going on here. What's uncomfortable? What's making you feel threatened? Let's come up with a solution. Michelle, it's terrific. I think in today's day and age, this is uh, as important as anything. You know, we spend more time with the people we work with than we do with our own families. Mm -hmm. And if they aren't emotionally safe places... That means people are human beings, but they stay professional and in control. Yes. I think we have more than the opportunity to just be great leaders. I think we have the opportunity to heal people and bring healing into their lives that they might not get at home. So I, in ways, I see where Simon Sinek is going. I disagree. I cannot be your daddy. <laughs> But I might be able to be better than your daddy. I might be able to be a better presence. <laughs> Everyone, how many people have daddy issues? We need something better than that. <laughs> Michelle, thanks so much. The book is called Relentless. You can get it on Amazon or wherever you buy books. It's been a wonderful conversation. Will you come on next time you got a book out? I would love that. Let's just hope that book doesn't come for a while. I need to <laughs> You need to heal. <laughs> All right. God bless. Thank you. Fantastic conversation, JJ. Always. I love Michelle. I did an event with her not too long ago. And yeah, she, she, is like, she talked about that. She loves you. She's like the sweetest, and I just adore her. All right, everybody. Music from this episode is by Andrew Bell. You can listen to Andrew's music on Spotify or Apple Music. Thanks, as always, for listening to the Building a Story Brand podcast, where we believe if you confuse, you'll lose. Noise is the enemy, and creating a clear message is the best way to grow your business.